Leaders, we are going to be delving back in to our series, God Heals You. And as we discuss this challenging topic today and learn more about how God heals you and how God heals us, we're going to hear uh, from Eric Bryant, our campus pastor, who's going to be continuing that series and giving us our message today. But before we hear from Eric, a Gateway member um, named Cindy, she's going to be sharing her story with us. So listen to Cindy's story um, as she shares with us her journey of healing. I never expected to be alive this long. I never expected to, um, I never expected to have a family like I have today. Because I didn't believe I deserved any of it. that I was not worthy of it. I never thought I would ever have a long-lasting relationship. When I was three years old, I was molested by my dad. So I didn't, I didn't believe that I had any worth, that I was used something that could be tossed. I ran away at 15. Um, I was a drug addict. I was involved in a lot of um, sexual activities and all kinds of, well, middle school, high school, and I did drugs just about every day. I was raped numerous times, beaten up, and I just felt that's what I am, that's what I do. I ended up meeting a girl who was the same age as I was, and she had a sugar daddy. I met him, and he was very wealthy multi-millionaire, and then kind of introduced me into that lifestyle. A lot bigger arena of prostitution. I went to a church service where there was, it was Rosalind Carter who was preaching, and she talked about being knit together in your mother's womb. That in the very beginning of time that God saw you, that he created you, that he had planned. And I felt this love, like, even though everything that I had done, everything that I was involved in, I mean, I, I could, you know, I don't, I couldn't even give the number of men that I had slept with, you know? It was like he loved me, he saw me, and he loved me. And I felt that love. And I didn't get it. I still had a lot of issues inside of me that needed to be dealt with. I had a lot of secrets, and I had a lot of Unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, anger, fear. I had so much fear. So I ended up in New York and met my husband, and then I had kids. Like I, would, I was afraid I would hurt my children, and I didn't want my, I thought my children would have to go through what I went through. And I was going to church and doing, being a good person. I, I didn't drink, I didn't do you know, didn't go out to bars, I didn't do, I didn't dance even, but inside I was, I was dying. Like I, I didn't have an understanding of who I was or now what, you know, now what? What's next? I, I had a lot, I was tormented, like so tormented. I went back partying and hanging with businessmen and 
going back into that kind of lifestyle again. I had a floral shop and with a, a friend of mine, and so um, I just, I went to this church with this lady who came in the floral shop and it was that same encounter like I had the first time with Jesus. Things turned around, like we started getting prayer, we'd go there and get prayer. We joined a home group, got involved in community. I just knew the Lord was ministering to me and showing me areas where I needed to forgive my dad, I needed to forgive the men that harmed me, and that's when I started getting freedom, real freedom, where I felt empowered to live out my life. How would I ever want to go back to where, where I came from? There's no way. I've seen and experienced life that I never, ever thought I would ever experience. It's just awesome. Like, I'm alive. I'm so alive. Like, I can say, like, it feels good to be alive. It's great to be alive. Cindy and her husband Dan are leaders in our church today, and actually a film is being made uh, about her life that's going to be shown at Sundance Film Festival. But as horrific as these things that were done to Cynthia are, we should acknowledge that this is way more common than we realize. There's an epidemic of sexual abuse in our world, and we need to just start and acknowledge that it's evil. And in the midst of that, we want to be a safe haven, a shelter, a place for healing for victims of sexual abuse. The problem, though, is oftentimes it remains very hidden. The statistics are shocking. One in three women. One in four men. It's Typically, 93% of the time, a family member or a friend that is the perpetrator. And for every one of us in this room, we know someone, whether they've shared with us or not, who has been devastated by sexual abuse. And it's evil, and evil loves to hide things, which is why we need to talk about it. We want to prevent it, we want to stop it, we want to see healing for those who've experienced it. And we want to learn to be a community that God uses to bring healing. So let me just acknowledge, in the room there are three types of people, right? Those who have been directly affected by it, either having been abused. And if that's you, I want you to know that my heart breaks for you. That what you suffered is not God's intention. And my hope for you today is that you realize that you're not alone. You're not damaged goods. And that there is hope for healing and the power of God to set you free. There may be some here that have been abusive. And if you've been hiding from it and its reality, then you've been deceived by evil. And my prayer for you is that your eyes would be opened, that you need help and that you too can find healing and the power of God to overcome. And the, the rest of us, those who may not have been abused, have not been abusive, I hope that in this you will learn to understand the intense trauma that victims have suffered with, that we can be 
become empathetic in a healing community as we walk along to bring healing to those who are hurting. So why is this so prevalent in society? Well, it's because evil lies to us, deceives us, and gets us thinking that sex is just physical, that nobody's getting hurt. Evil trains our minds with sexually violent films and pornography. And thirdly, we can be manipulated by evil to do destructive things to each other. Recently heard of a conversation with a, a man who was abusive, who got help and healing and found faith and even made restitution with his victim. And he was asked this question, why did you do it? He was just very honest. He said, I was so caught up in my fantasy world of pornography, I really couldn't see straight. And I believe the lie that it's no big deal, just a physical thing like a back rub, and she won't remember. That's just, that's pure evil. Because it's not just a physical thing, it's actually a spiritual assault. And we should know that God created us as sexual creatures. But so often sexuality gets falsely tied to our identity as if it defines who we are. When in reality, it's intended to be used in marriage as a, a bond that mirrors the oneness of God. See, sex is actually sacred. Which is why evil tries to come in and destroy our view of sex. And destroy us through something that God created which is good and sacred. But it's not just physical. It can be extremely damaging to the psyche. Experts have said that sexual assault has the most extensive and longest term impact on its victims compared to all other crimes. In fact, sexual assault victims suffer from PTSD more than any other trauma victims outside of war veterans. Compared to physical abuse, being mugged, robbed at gunpoint, physically traumatized, sexual assault victims are three times more likely to suffer depression, six times more likely to suffer from PTSD, 13 more times more likely to abuse alcohol, 26 more times likely to abuse drugs, and four times more likely to contemplate suicide. It's devastating. It's destructive. It's a spiritual assault. And I can tell you, in 28 years of being a pastor, I've seen lives, and even recently with people close to me, marriages destroyed because of unhealed sexual abuse. But I want you to hear more than anything else today that there is hope. That's why this series is called God Heals You. God can bring healing to you and to those around you. Now, it's a journey, but it is still happening all the time. God is doing a move of miraculous healing. This passage we looked at last week, just this brief little verse just reminds us who God is. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. God, the healer. But here's the challenge, and I just need to put this out front. See, sometimes the reason we get stuck and the reason we don't move forward is because we don't want to think about the abuse we've experienced. We don't want to go back there. We want to move on, and that's understandable. But it also keeps us stuck. Now, our senior pastor, John Burke, interviewed MJ Dennis, an expert in the field of sexual trauma. An expert really is an understatement. Listen to her credentials. She's an LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor. She's an LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a CST, a certified sex therapist. She's a CCPS, a certified expert on betrayal trauma when sex addiction is involved. All she needs is an XYZ to get the rest of the letters. 
but she's a survivor herself. And I want you to listen to what she says as an expert in healing from sexual trauma, having walked that path. Let's listen. So many times when people are uh, sexual victims of trauma, they want to just put it behind them, yeah. move on, put it, you know, don't want to deal with that anymore. Yeah. Um, from your perspective, is that a good idea? Uh, why or why not? Well, I'd like to quote one of my colleagues. Um, I work with another therapist. His name is John Haney. And John says, what we push down comes out sideways. And so if we have wounding, um, if we have loss, if we have grief, if we have pain and we just try to push it down and move on, it's gonna come out sideways. It's gonna show up somewhere, right? Emotional pain can manifest physically. We can have physical ailments because of the emotional stress and duress that we're under. Um, things that are not tended to impact how we show up in relationship. So there's a real benefit to healing old pain so that we can have current, good functioning now and in the future. Sexual abuse is, is not just a physical thing, is it? I've counseled people and 40 years later, it's still affecting them. Why is that? When somebody is violated sexually, it will impact them in several ways. A person's self-esteem is impacted. So somebody who's been violated or assaulted, they will wonder, um, you know, what did I do to deserve that? What's wrong with me that this terrible thing happened to me? Um, it'll impact a person's sexual self-esteem. Who and how am I as the sexual being? Um, it can twist up a person's beliefs about being a sexual being. Sometimes after sexual um, abuse, sometimes people can become um, hypersexual. They can become promiscuous. Sometimes people become actually avoidant. They move away from sexuality. You know, one of the when we're assessing for trauma, we'll ask them, um, um, to what extent or how frequently do you avoid people, places, or situations that remind you of the trauma? And if we want to be a healthy sexual being, then leaning into some healing is really valuable and actually necessary. And there is healing that can happen from that, right? Absolutely. I would not be a counselor if I didn't believe healing couldn't happen, yeah. right? What about imprinting? Sometimes, especially if your first sexual experience is a traumatic one or a violation, what can happen there? I'm glad you asked that. Um, there's something called a sexual template, right? Um, as we are growing up, we get messages about how to be a sexual being, right? We hear from our parents and from our church and from culture, and we get all these messages about how to be a sexual being. So those early messages form what we call the sexual template. It's like a foundation of our sexual house. Now, if there's been sexual violation, if there's been wounding, that's in our foundation. And if we tried to build a house, on top of a broken foundation, of course, what's going to happen to the sexual house? It won't be steady, right? There could be complications later and struggles. Sometimes kids who have been um, violated, if that's not tended to, it'll show up in their adult intimate relationship when they're either moving in and it's getting kind of wonky because they're, remember I said some people will lean in and have 
maybe a hypersexuality, but some people will lean out and be sexually avoidant. So the untended wounding in childhood will show up in adulthood. Healing can happen. And it starts by understanding that sexual abuse is a disgrace. And we, as Christ followers, can actually help survivors find grace, grace to undo the evils of disgrace from sexual wounding. Now, studies have shown there are six after effects of sexual abuse. And if you're a survivor and have struggled with these, then I want you to listen to what God wants you to hear and understand in your path towards healing. Now, the first is denial or minimizing. Now, the flood of negative emotions for a victim of sexual abuse can be overwhelming, and so survivors may try to get rid of it by denying or minimizing the abuse. But the problem with this is that you actually had something taken from you. And the actual response needs to be loss and grief. And facing the grief and sorrow is actually the path towards healing. And you need to know that God is more sorrowful than even you are that it breaks his heart, that in our freedom we do such damage to each other. It grieves God when we rebel and do evil, causing his children pain. Isaiah 63.10 describes God's character in that. Yet they rebelled and it grieved his Holy Spirit. When someone abuses another, they take what God intended as sacred and good and they use it for selfish evil. And this grieves God. Let that give you permission to grieve. And as you grieve, know God grieves with you and that you're not alone facing it. You know, last week after our message on physical, verbal, emotional abuse and how God can heal us from that, and even after this first service, I can't tell you how many people with tears in their eyes thanked me that we're doing this very difficult series because we're getting this out in the open, that there's permission to find healing. There's permission to grieve. Distorted identity is the next after effect. See, evil first deceives abusers, then lies to the victims, telling them these dark thoughts, like you're worthless, it's your fault, or you're dirty, or disgusting, or shameful. But you see, God sees as the opposite. He sees you completely differently. We did a whole series called God Likes You to see God's view of us. It was through the letter written to the Ephesians. See, God sees you through Christ. When you say yes to follow him, your identity is completely changed. You are now a child of the king. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are now blameless, unstained. You're pure, you're perfect, you're holy, white as snow. Colossians 1.22, God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. See, this is God's reality, which is bigger of the reality of those lies try to convince us of. See, when you surrender your life to Jesus, he becomes your rescuer, your savior, but also your Lord, the leader of your life because of what he's done. And we stand in God's presence without spot, blemish, or stain because he sees us through what Jesus did for us. Now, this is different. When we acknowledge who we really are, that's different than 
Then the Stuart Smiley version. Do you remember Stuart Smiley? I'm good enough, you know, and he's looking in the mirror and he's trying to pep, you know, pep talk for himself. It's different than that. See, when we try to just replace you know, these dark thoughts with positive thoughts, you know, I'm dirty with I'm pure or I'm bad with I'm good, eventually it's hard to believe because we're the only ones saying that about ourselves. And actually sometimes that could lead to an even bigger fall. That's what psychologists tell us. But see, when you have another person telling you what's true about you, when you have the truth about who you are as described by the one who created you, that's what you need to hold on to. See, these statements are true because God is truth. You are declared righteous by God. Romans 4 says it this way. God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. A huge path towards healing is to begin to see yourself as God sees you. Created on purpose and for a purpose as his child when we say yes to Jesus. Another after effect is shame. This is a big one. We'll spend a little more time on it. But shame is this deep sense of feeling that I'm uniquely bad or something's wrong with me. Not just I did wrong, but I am wrong. Listen to how MJ Dennis describes its effects. When someone has experienced sexual abuse, shame is a consequence of that, right? Shame is that feeling of, I am bad, I'm less than, not good enough, I'm not a good fill in the blank. And so when somebody's been violated sexually, a human response to that is, what's wrong with me? What did I do to deserve that? Um, confusion, um, maybe I brought that on in some way. I, maybe I did something wrong. Oh no, what if I deserve that because oh no, I'm a terrible person, right? So shame is part of sexual wounding. When we're in shame, we're really self-focused, right? Shame turns us inward and we get caught in the thoughts of, I'm less than, not good enough. And if we're self-focused, we're not others focused. We can't do both at the same time. If we're self-focused, then we're caught up in what's in our head and in our heart and the internal battle. If we're in there, it's very hard to turn toward our person, toward our loved ones and say, oh, how can I care for you? No, we're self-focused. And so it's really important that we learn about our shame. We, we take steps to become what I call shame resilient, that we know what shame says to us so that, that we can then stand up to our shame and say, wait a minute, that's not true. Right. We need to know what our shame sounds like so that we can ask, actually turn toward others to be able to say to a safe person who knows what to do when we're in shame, hey, I'm in shame. So that person can come back to us with empathy and truth. If shame from sexual abuse is not healed, it can manifest in victims doing self-harm like cutting or suicidal thoughts a re-entering uh, an abusive, risky relationship, or sexual promiscuity, or pornography, stripping, or even prostitution. And what happens is victims often partially or fully blame themselves for the evil done to them. 
This is the evil lying to them, but it's also a coping mechanism to try to find a way to protect themselves next time. They think, if I did something wrong, then I can change it and stop it next time. But the truth is, sexual abuse was just evil. Evil hates us and wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. So evil tries to lie to survivors of sexual assault, saying these dark thoughts like you're dirty, you're stained, or you're not worth more than what you experienced. And if that's not replaced with God's truth, survivors ironically may engage in more sexually abusive relationships or acting out sexually. And this is counterintuitive, but it's important for us to understand so that we might have compassion in order to walk with survivors. That many times it's unhealed wounds that have led them towards this destructive behavior. At Gateway North just a few weeks ago, John Burke baptized a woman who told him that she was a prostitute. And he looked at her and said, I'm so sorry for the evil things that were done to you. Was there abuse growing up? And she began to share the traumatic childhood where she was raped. See, his immediate response was to acknowledge what had happened to her rather than responding to her job, knowing that there must be a story behind why she would be in this place. And on that day, she was baptized as a new creation in Christ. Tony, who spoke summer of 2018 here at Gateway during the Voices series, who, like Cindy, was sex trafficked, told us that every prostitute she had ever known was sexually abused as a child. See, this stems from two evil lies. The lie that says, this is all I'm worth, this is my value, sex is, what I, what is the only thing that makes me desirable. And the second lie manipulates the victim to gain some sort of control, saying, I get to decide. I can control what I do sexually. People coming out of the sex industry say things like, it was a way to win. Men did this to me. Now I was going to get them back by using my sexuality to get their money and better myself. See, evil lies to, to us and keeps us in cycles of shame. But God heals us. He offers healing to all of us. Now, it's interesting because in the scriptures, the Bible has three images of shame, nakedness, like in the garden when Adam and Eve were aware of their nakedness and shame, having gone against what God had asked them to do. Or we see this other image of being cast outside, removed from the camp, or this idea of being filthy or defiled. See, shame tells us because of the abuse that we are naked, cast out, filthy, defiled, but Jesus took shame on himself in our place. He was stripped, naked, crucified outside of the city. A filthy, disgusting, bloody, defiled mess. See, if you struggle with feeling shame, God says this to you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. See, Jesus took shame on himself. He gets it. He's felt it. And he despised that feeling. And he paid to remove shame from us forever. He was our shame. So instead of naked and defiled that you can say, he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Instead of feeling cast out, 
you know that he has adopted you as his own children. Now we can call him Abba, Father. Instead of feeling filthy or defiled, you know that in Christ you are made new. Not only did Jesus take upon himself on the cross the sin of humanity, the evil of humanity, he took upon himself the shame of humanity that we might not take that on ourselves anymore. Another after effect is guilt, which needs to be distinguished from shame. It's important to remember that being guilty is actually being culpable or responsible for a specific wrongdoing. You are not guilty for the sin and crime done to you when you were abused. That's critical. You are not guilty of the crime, the sin that was committed against you. You did nothing wrong. It's important to realize that. But sexual abuse survivors will often take control of the sword of sex and use it as a weapon of self-defense. And we have to look out for how evil will try to manipulate us into using sexuality against his will against other human beings, and then being guilty of that. It's because of sexual assault. If because of sexual assault, you've abused alcohol or drugs or maybe blamed God for what evil people did and as a result lived in rebellion against God, don't minimize it. Own what you have done because it's in owning that when we actually acknowledge that we need forgiveness that we experience forgiveness. Don't deny it. Don't hold on to it, but instead, hold on to God's love and forgiveness offered in Jesus. He paid a costly price that we might experience forgiveness, but all we have to do is admit we need it. There's this beautiful story in the scriptures in John chapter eight. A woman was spotted committing adultery, and the religious leaders grabbed her. They didn't grab him, but they grabbed her. And they brought her in front of Jesus, trying to trick Jesus because they had seen him so kind to people they would describe as sinners and they wanted to trap him. And they said to him, with this woman who had been caught in the act, probably filled with great shame and guilt right in front of him, they said, Jesus, the law says to stone to death the adulterer. What do you say? These men were holding rocks. They were ready to throw that first stone. And Jesus said, you're right. Death is the cost of rebellion against God. So stone her. And whoever has never rebelled against God, you throw the first stone. One by one, they dropped their stones and walked away to the point where the only people there were Jesus and this woman. And in that moment, Jesus turned to the woman who was buried in guilt And she was guilty of the parts of the story that were hers. And he asks her this question. Who here condemns you? And then she says, no one, sir. No one is still here condemning me. They've all left. And then Jesus said, well, then neither do I condemn you. And then he says this, go and leave your life of sin. Now he doesn't condemn her because he paid the death that we would owe. He was there to bring forgiveness to humanity, hope to humanity. And if you want what Jesus did on the cross to count for you, all you have to do is ask 
to experience that forgiveness. And she wanted to be forgiven. And so when he says, go now and leave your life of sin, he is giving her a promise of a better future. She does not have to live that way anymore. She was not condemned to keep living that life. She was free to live a new life with God's power, fueled by forgiveness. Another after effect is anger. It's important to know anger is not a sin. In fact, the scriptures tell us, in your anger, do not sin. You can be angry, but in that anger, do not sin. In fact, God is angrier than you are at the evil done to you. God is just and righteous, and his righteous anger is the right response to the vandalism of his creation. And his justice will be served. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will make all things right one day. But it's important to know it's okay to be angry about what has happened, to hate the evil that is done. But it's important to remember this, Hebrews 12, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, anger is a just response to evil, but we must trust God to be just rather than holding on to revenge or bitterness. Nelson Mandela, who had every right to seek revenge, said resentment is like drinking poison, thinking it will hurt the person who harmed you. You see, that's what happens when we get in this position of bitterness and resentment. Instead of entrusting that person to a just God who will bring justice, we can trust him. Having said that, it's important for us not to make the mistake of hearing someone's story of abuse and immediately moving towards, well, you need to forgive that person for your own sake. Now, while that's eventually true, it's a burden they're not ready to bear. We need to allow them to be heard, allow them to grieve, allow them to be angry as they then pursue healing. The first emotion should be anger and sadness and grief for the evil done, the injustice done to them. This is how God feels. God's anger and grief is demonstrated in Jesus' crucifixion. To rid the world of evil, he took it upon himself. But forgiveness will need to come as the healing process continues. And we can forgive, this is also important, without trusting you can forgive someone who never asks for forgiveness. You can forgive someone who doesn't even get help. But that doesn't mean if you forgive them that they should be welcomed back in a position where others might be in danger. This is incredibly important for us to remember. I know families that have reunions where the abuser and the abused are in the same place, never acknowledging what's happened, and everybody knows. So unhealthy. But forgiveness can still happen, but it comes after the emotions of grief and anger and sadness in the process of healing. Finally, despair. Despair is an after effect, but despair can turn into hope. Despair is this deep darkness that can seep in after sexual abuse. But God promises light and life. God is the God of hope. When Jesus was crucified, it felt like evil had won, but God brought life out of death, healing out of abuse, hope out of despair. And that's what he will do for us when we entrust to him these painful memories, these painful moments. When we step into healing, even if it means stepping into community, something we may not feel ready for. 
Listen to this powerful email from a woman here at Gateway. She writes, people always thought I was a happy person, but I was actually dead inside. I seem to be without hope for the future. The bad movie that kept playing was my life as a victim and a survivor of sexual abuse. My life seemed to repeat itself over and over again. At age five, I was raped by my father and later abused by my sister. In high school, I lived with another family and the guardian father sexually molested me. After several suicide attempts, I learned to deal with life by using an eating disorder to feel like I was in control. Years later, I met a man who I began to trust. He ended up being a pedophile. He later went to prison after severely, severely abusing me and my child. After all that, I finally went to therapy. But I was determined to find my way in this world, and I trusted no one. My psyche was full of self-hatred, guilt, and shame until I became so depressed I could barely eat. It was at this time in her life that someone invited her to our church, to Gateway. She writes, I went through a four-week battle with God. I cried the entire time I was with my therapist. Then one day, I was so miserable that I prayed. I prayed for guidance. I was not a praying person, but I was getting desperate. The crying continued, and the enormous guilt and shame were becoming unbearable. But every day, I started asking for guidance from God as I was going to bed. My sadness continued until one day I woke up and suddenly felt different. I felt energetic. I finally re realized what it was all about. I finally realized the path that would lead me to peace. I finally, all caps, realized that God was calling me to him. It was the most amazing realization of my life. My whole perspective had suddenly changed. It felt almost miraculous in intensity. I was just blown away by how simple this whole thing could have been if only I would not have fought so hard with God. All those years taking the wrong path because I had become so willful. All those years of struggle and the answer was right before me. I cannot believe the change. It's like what I would have imagined would have been a prisoner freed from a constant camp to suddenly have life. The contrast from feeling oppressed to suddenly having peace and joy is impossible to describe. It's like supernatural. I know I have a long journey ahead of me, but I realize that truly I am not alone. I finally got the message and I'm so grateful to be alive and I'm thankful for my community gateway. So I want to ask you, what are your steps towards healing? And how can you and I contribute towards this healthy community? What is he calling you to do to serve others? Listen as MJ talks about just that. How do you help someone walk toward healing? You know, in counseling, we always deal with the resistance in the room. So people will often come to counseling. A part of them longs for some healing and very human to also come in with degrees of resistance. So that, that is a human condition. Part of me wants to do this and part of me doesn't want to do this. Humans don't really wanna go back and relive old pain or have to pull things out of the past and wrestle with them to move on. It really does take courage to do our healing. But you know, we, we find safe, healthy others who can walk with us in our pain to help us heal. 
And as a church, you know, we can either be a healing place or we can do damage, especially to people who have been victims of abuse. So yes, church can be a place both of healing and of harm, unfortunately. You know, the good stuff, the healing is when our, when our church family can meet us with hearing us, um, understanding us, meeting us with empathy and compassion. You know, if you add those things up, being heard, being understood, being met with empathy and compassion, add those up and it equals healing. But, you know, we humans sometimes hurt people, hurt people. And therefore, sometimes, even when people mean well, they can hurt others by maybe not understanding or not trying to understand being dismissive or blaming or judging. And when we are condemned, that increases shame. And that's not healing. So if we add up being not heard, not understood, being blamed or being judged or criticized, that can actually exacerbate the pain that was already there. There is a, a passage in Romans that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that is a foundation for caring for others, right? We're not called on to fix somebody. We're called on to be with people. How do you? There's a beautiful passage in James that says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We say here at Gateway, no perfect people allowed. And what we mean by that is we are invited into authentic community, a confessional community, one that prays for each other, one that's honest about where we're struggling. And what God uses most is people to bring healing to people abused by other people. A community of people who can be with others and help them see and trust the heart of God along the healing journey that we're all on. And if you're ready to begin that healing journey, we have some resources for you. Of course, every Wednesday night, Open Chair is a wonderful spot to discover healing by working recovery, 6.30 on Wednesday nights, men and women. We have local counselors. In fact, we have a list of resources that we'd love to share with you, either at the prayer uh, stations over here or at the Connect spot. And there's also going to be a workshop for healing from sexual abuse led by Kendra Powers. Just email restore at gatewaychurch.com if you want to know more about that workshop coming up in just a few weeks. I want to remind you next week we conclude this series, God Heals You, as we talk about how God heals from abortion. And there's a workshop you should know about for women the first Saturday of November called Then and Now, led by Jamie and Kendra. But as we listen to this next song and consider what our next steps might be, I want you to hear this song is God's message to you.